podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mentzel, a.k.a. Menners. And before we get going, I just wanted to say hi to all the English listeners out there. My jokes about the Bangladesh loss uh, last week went down like a lead balloon after the performance of the Wacker. So hi, everyone. I enjoyed the tweets. Uh, we have a massive show this week. We're going to be looking at the first test. We've got a second test preview. We've got the commentary critique. We've got a new segment. Lots to talk about. But before we get into all that, let me introduce my panellists. Joining me is a man known for many a crazy idea on cricket. He apparently bats like Jason Gillespie, minus the solid defence. Welcome back to the show, Paul, the summer game, Dennett. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. Now, I've got this tweet from you, and it said, What about that throw from Bavuma? Might have been in violation of the laws of physics. I particularly enjoyed one of the replies I got to that, which was, No, that's impossible. And the other panelist joining us this week is Ace. The other panelist joining us this week is Ace sports writer for the Australian Associated Press, assistant to the founder of the Australian Cricket Podcast, novelist and journalist. Welcome back, James McSmith. Man, it's fantastic to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, Maki, you blew up on the weekend over the, the proceedings at the Wacker. A lot of angry phone calls and messages. But then to, to finish it all off, you sent one about Cricket Australia, about how they sent a tweet out of uh, Kagiza Rabada dropping the Man of the Match award. And your quote was, how lame is this tweet, especially after that loss? Can't Cricket Australia do anything right? Well, man, what, what was that tweet? We've just been absolutely hammered, and they send out a silly little tweet. And, mate, it's not the first time they've made some ridiculous comments on social media. I'm sure Paul is across this as well. I just think it needs to be more professional as an organisation. Can I make you even more irate? Because this little perler of a stat came out from Chris Barrett, who writes from the SMH, and he said that a breakdown of the expenditure from the recent Cricket Australia annual report showed that more money... $34.87 million was spent on communications and marketing than on team performance. And they spent t- almost $27 million on team performance. So, Mackie, your thoughts on that? Well, They're spending more money on Twitter than they are on well, the mate, players. Chris Barrett's right on the money there, isn't he, Paul? And, mate, what, what are they spending it on? Because their social media policy, it's all over the shop. I, I can't understand it myself. There's plenty of clickbait on their website. I just... I don't get it, mate. What's the most important? And surely success of the team that will then drive the communications policy and who goes to the website, everything like that. Yeah, that tweet was, was unfortunate. It's, it's, it's um, the premium sporting organisation of cricket in Australia. It needs to have some gravitas. Yeah, you can try to be funny occasionally, but that was the wrong time to do it. And, and the punchline was, I think, at least he didn't drop the World Cup. Yeah, I was I referencing mean, the 1999 semi-final. But how is that relevant? It's just, it, it smacks of being sore losers. There's a way of being whimsical and whatever else, and that was just not the way to do but it. But it smacks of being the 13-year-old kid up the back of the bus too. Well, maybe given that they spent $33 million on communications, maybe they should divert some of the money they spent on player performance to the communications to get even better communications. <laughs> I'm not sure about that theory, Paul. But uh, as I said, you've got a few crazy Ones. Now, South Africa won the first test by 177 runs. It was the first loss in a season opener since 1988 for Australia. Steve Smith wasn't even born when we lost our last first home test of the summer. It broke an unbeaten streak of 18 tests at home. 
and it was the third test victory in a row for South Africa at the Wacker. A horrific start to the summer. Let me start. We've got a new segment premiering this show, taken from Mad Menners, but I've got Mad Macca. Mad Macca, he's fired up. He's so upset about this. Where are we going to start? Are we going to start? Should we start with the umpires and DRS? Man, it's, I, you know, I was irate. I was furious. I was so angry. I've taken the dog for a number of walks. He's lost about five kilograms, King Zeus, <laughs> the golden one. I just still can't get over it. I've, I've put a list of people. Mate, King Zeus's Twitter is better than CA. Mate, King Zeus has got 13,000 um, Instagram followers, so he's got some gravitas himself. <laughs> but, man, as I've put together a list of players, who, of people who should not be allowed within... 100 kilometres of test cricket from now on. At the top is Sean Marsh. He will never play test cricket again. Sausage is out. He's gone. Sean Marsh is out. Uh, Mitchell Marsh, never again. Come on, not even in two years? No, gone. Wow. Um, It is Mad Macca. Paul's man, Voges, gone. He's not not up to it. He's not up to it, mate. It's time for significant change. But can I go on? Aleem Dar, goodbye. Uh, Pat Howard, goodbye. James Sutherland, goodbye. Wow. Goodbye. And I want to go on about Arlene Darren. Bear with me here, boys, but Arlene Dar, that was... And I'm not alone here because I've done a few straw polls of other fans, and that was the most disgraceful umpiring exhibition I have ever seen. The, the, the decision to give Steve Smith out was an absolute disgrace. And I know you say it was backed up by DRS, but it just once again shows how... What a debacle DRS is. That was not out... In a million years of Test cricket, that one. So, and then we'll go on. That was just one of the mistakes Dar made during that test. Then, then the Dean Elgar dismissal caught Neville Bold Siddle for 131 in the first in, in sorry in the second innings. Obviously, a fantastic knock by Elgar, mate. It was the biggest snick he'd ever hit. Snicko went off the charts. It was off the Richter scale. Dar didn't hear it. How does that happen? Neville was Billy ta- busy taking splinters out of the damn ball while while we were going through the review system. I'll oh, go on. What in Decock in the second innings? He, the ball clearly hit his hit his hip. Dar gives it out. I mean, how many chances do you get? It, it's ridiculous. And then I'll go and what about the LBW on Kawaja in the second innings? Mate, that wasn't out either. So you've got Australia's two main batsmen, Smith. Smith what about Mitch Marshes? That wasn't out either. Well, that wasn't. That was just a DRS and a DRS howler. But I'll just continue. So Steve Smith comes in when it went two for one hundred and sixty-seven in the first innings. Australia lost by one hundred and seventy-seven runs. I know South Africa declared, but and then the second innings when when that obviously Smith was given out with an absolute howl, and then Kawaj when he's batting to save the test, he's given out on another controversial BW. So I just I I can't get over it, Paul. Okay, well, I've got a few questions about that little rant, Macca. Excellent stuff. You've taken to Mad Macca like a duck to it's water. Just... But, um, okay, so do you think DRS is affecting the way umpires like Alim Dar view LBWs now? One of the theories is now that they know DRS is backing them up, they can be a bit more aggressive. So if there was some doubt that the ball might be clipping leg stump before DRS, they would go, not out. But now they go, well, you know, if, the, if he thinks it's missing leg stump, he can refer it. So I'm going to make the decision. They're more gung-ho in making out decisions. I, I don't know. And I, I, I think obviously DRS has affected the way umpiring happens, but it's still the benefit of the doubt to the batsman. But that's Surely. not a written rule. That's not a written rule. I know, but it's an accepted interpretation, isn't it? I'll and- back back up on that. It, it's not a written rule, but it's implicit within the laws because the laws say the ball is, the, the ball is hitting the stumps. So therefore, if you're not sure, the ball is not definitely hitting the stumps You've got to give it not out according to the law. So it's not explicitly written in the laws, but it's implicit that the benefit of the doubt goes to the batsman. But I'd say in this instance, the MIT testing of Hawkeye showed that on length, on line, it's accurate at its worst to within seven millimetres. 
and I think that this was just more than seven millimeters. I agree with everything you say, Macca, in terms of this was unprecedented in the history of Test cricket. It was, it was. Um, but I can see, I can say, look, ultimately, I think that if we could magically have removed Steve Smith from that, we, the ball would have clipped the stumps. So I can, as an Australian fan, I can say, despite all of what you're saying there, and I agree with that. I can't get too upset because I think ultimately he hit, got hit on the pads and the ball was going to hit the stumps. I, I, I can't agree that the ball is going to hit the stumps. And I also think that Alain Dow was completely duped by Maharaja running up the pitch like he just won Lotto. I think he was just totally convinced. And it wasn't the only time in the Test match they were appealing like they'd well, won the World um, Series. Umpire Dharam Masena in Bangladesh had 20 decisions overturned last week. So there's something going on. I think umpires are more trigger happy. Well, Another man, question... Man is- Sorry, go so on. You mate. said Pat Howard's got to go. That takes me to player management as being a, uh, a massive failure going into this. It's managed. It's informed player management, isn't it? Well, it's terrible. It's All the bowlers were underdone. Brendan Julian, hurt. Brendan Julian fired up about this, and he's normally very affable. He was like, how can you bring all these bowlers into the first test match and pull them out halfway through a Shield game beforehand? And some of them were resting in Matador Cup games. BJ, who's normally really relaxed, thought this was an absolute mare from the management team. And I think it showed in that second innings the way the bowlers toiled, that they were really struggling. They were underdone. And it wasn't just one of them. Siddle, Stark were definitely underdone. Hazelwood looked okay, but t- half the attack was underbowled going into the game. Well, mate, look, look, does Gay Waterhouse give her racehorses a little dinky die run around the track before the Melbourne Cup or, or Lloyd Williams? Of course not. You know, they, they're going full, full, full pace, and aren't e- they? And even the batsman, Mike Hussey, said that he would want more first-class cricket leading up into a mm. test series. So the batsmen were caught short, the bowlers were caught short, and South Africa have hammered us. So the, the management team do copper serve. Well, Paul, that's what I'm talking about. Pat Howard's got to go. James Sutherland's got to go because it all comes... And I know the performances on the field weren't good enough, but from the boardroom, from those oak-panelled boardrooms down at Jollymont to the cricket field itself, cricket is in crisis in Australia and the snakes and the fish rots from the head, those two have got to go. Well, look, I, I think... Let's look at some positives for a second. Um, I think the Perth pitch was excellent. Came back are, you, to... are you speaking through your wallet, Paul? Um, no, I'm not. I, I, I did have some money on South Africa, but that was... Um, you know, that's by the by. I still wanted Australia to win. I I just think that for a start, we were worried that the Perth pitch was not going to be any good. I think it was a really good pitch, and I think it produced, irrespective of the result, a very entertaining um, test match. And I think that's something that we can celebrate. I don't know that we need to sack everyone. I think that I was on the show when we previewed the, the, um, the series, and I don't recall any of us being overly, overly angry about the fact that Stark and Siddle were going in Underbold. We might have mentioned it a bit, but we were in you know we're in the position where we could have absolutely hammered them, and we didn't. And I think part- yeah, but it's not our job to manage no, the no, players, no. Paul. Of course not. Of course not. But we're I'm not saying- speaking to them on a daily basis, <coughs> saying how 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 your legs feeling, how you going. Half these blokes want to bowl more. That's the word. No, but I'm saying we've got the benefit of hindsight now that we've. When we didn't have the benefit of hindsight, we weren't as critical as we possibly could have been. So I'm saying it is hard when they're the ones that have to have the... They're judged by the results, obviously, but it's not always... Um, you know, if we sacked them all and brought new people in, it doesn't mean it would, uh, would turn around overnight. I think what happened was South Africa are a very good side and they outplayed us and we did some things wrong, but I don't think Australian cricket's in crisis. Crisis is a strong word. And before, I just want to bring one more point up in Mad Macca about administration and Sutherland and Howard and all that. Cricket Australia were exceedingly greedy when they agreed to the one-day tournament leading into this test series in South Africa. That decision has come back to bite us in a massive way. For a start, Faf Duplessis said at the toss that that 
5-0 victory gave them a big boost in the squad leading into this they series. They know they can beat us. And, and it just also took our players away from the home summer at the beginning of the summer when they could have been preparing for this test series. So our greed has come back to bite us in a big, big way. I agree with that, although I don't know if it's greed. It might have been our lack of... Um our lack of savvy. We might have had to go over there to satisfy some other bilateral thing. It mightn't have been greed. It might have been we'd painted ourselves into the corner. Whatever the case, we shouldn't have been going over there. And given that we were, we shouldn't have sent over our Z bowling side and allowed ourselves to get thrashed. We should have sent over uh, a better side and performed a little bit better. But obviously, in the lead-up to an Australian summer, we should have enough clout to be able to say, no, our players will be um, playing in the Matador Cup and getting ready and used to our conditions. The same thing is going to happen at the end of the season when we should be in India preparing. We're going to have a, um, the final T20 game coinciding virtually with the first, or the day after that is the first test match in more, India. It's just more greed, but it's more scheduling that's just a complete dog's breakfast. And Paul, obviously, part of that Z-grade attack in South Africa, Joe Many, he's going to play in Hobart, isn't he? On a deck that's going to be tailor-made for Jackson Bird. Well, they might pick Bird. At least he's in the squad now, which would, again, show remarkable inconsistency. But I think it would probably... Be, Just be... shows they make it up as they go yeah, along. Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be the right decision, but it would, it would show, that, as you say, they're making it up as, as they go along. Well, that was a great debut by Mad Macca. You really went off. Well done. Thank in you. the spirit of Mad Men. Won't be the last. I think you I carried think. the torch really well. Now let's review the first test with some uh, level-headedness, <laughs> as Paul's directing us towards on this particular episode. It, it was one of the most remarkable turnarounds I've seen in Test cricket, but it's terribly soul-destroying for Australia to lose to a side that has no A.B. de Villiers, no Dale Stain, effectively. Hashim Amla, their best player, scored only one run. Then Maharaj, Cook, Rabada, de Kock and Bavuma have all played fewer Test matches than any of the Australian players. So the fact that they were able to, from a seemingly forlorn position, turn it around and thrash us in the end is an amazing South African performance. Paul, I want to bring another thing up, actually. I think we've fallen behind in just the way we look at the world as well. I mean, world cricket, obviously, left arm finger spinners are having a dramatic influence across the globe, aren't they? And you, look, you only have to look at Maharaj, you only have to look at what's happening in Bangladesh. I, I think off spinners, why are we persisting with Nathan Lyon when we've got O'Keefe, when we've got. What's um, this got to do with the test? Well, I'm just saying this is another reason why we're losing test matches, man. I don't think Maharaj had any influence in that result. I don't think. I think O'Keefe should Smith be out. O'Keefe should be in for line. O'Keefe. Yep. Okay, so let's well, start. What, let's what about Ashton Agar too? Okay, well that's all for the future. Let's start with this test. Uh, okay. It started off really well. I mean, Stark got a wicket in the first over of the test match, which is the 19th first over wicket he has taken across all formats since the start of 2015. South Africa slumped to four for 32. And at that point, we were cock-a-hoop. So we eventually knocked over South Africa for 242. On the second morning, Australia were none for 158. But then it all fell away and we lost 10 for 86. 10 for 86 to surrender all dominance in the game. I mean... What can you say about that? Well, the funniest part of that was social media blew up when Mark Nicholas put the commentator's curse on Warner, and that's what precipitated a dramatic collapse. Jeez, I could have a rant about that. Jeez, they went on about that. That um, commentator's curse is... I, I can't. I think only the thing. The only thing that fi- that I find more boring than that is talking about the devil's number of eighty-seven. Like <laughs> commentators' curse. God, are we three? Come on. 
<laughs> I am a bit superstitious. So Chris Rogers was talking about, so around the time we lost 10 for 86, Dale Stain had just gone off with an injury, ruling him out of the series effectively. Chris Rogers said that he thought the Australian batsmen, when they saw Stain go off, went into their shell rather than really attacking the South Africans. Do you think that's a good assessment of why Australia fell in a heap? We were too defensive and didn't go after the South African attack? Surely that was a chance to take advantage of the situation you don't rock back on your heels you take the bull by the horns in that situation don't you and think we can really just build a massive total here well i i I just i disagree i think that when we got to that position there there must have been a, a sense that okay we're about 40 overs in if the ball's going to reverse swing it's about now there were signs that are starting to reverse swing there needed to be an understanding that we've got two established batsmen out here let's get through this 20-over period until the ball stops reverse swinging because that's how we've collapsed so many times in the past. Instead, Warner got out playing a, a shot that I don't think he would have played mm. had he been... Um, you know, if they'd had a mindset for 20-overs, let's pretend this is the last 20-overs of the day and we're just playing for a draw and survive and then flourish, he wouldn't have played that shot. And Sean Marsh tried to hit a fairly straight ball through mid-wicket and got out as well. That then exposed... I mean, that happened a little bit later, but Kawaja got bowled by a ball that was an absolute beauty from Rabada. Uh, reverse swung, took the off stump. I wonder whether if Warner had been on strike, having batted for, for so many hours, he might have been able to jam down on that and get some bat on it. I think that sometimes we need to say, this is the game right now. The only way we can lose this is, is if reverse swing uh, sets us onto a collapse, as it often does. We've got two established batsmen. Let's get through it. Smith in the second innings played a bit of an airy-fairy shot when the reverse swing was going, and, um, you know... Uh, someone like Vaux just came out when it was very, very difficult um, and, and got out. So I think I disagree with Chris Rogers on this one. I agree. I think we needed two hours of tough batting to wear out the South African attack. And the only way we could lose the match was by collapsing in the manner we did 10 for 86. Australia only had a two-run lead. I said to you at the beginning of the second day, I thought we needed to lead by 150 at least. And it proved prophetic because the South Africans came out and despite being two for 45 at one stage... Dean Elgar and Dumini put on 250, which is the second highest partnership for South Africa versus Australia in Test cricket. Dean Elgar scored two ducks at the Wacker last time he was here, and then he played one of the most boring but necessary test innings. I mean, it wasn't exciting, but I'd like to see an Australian batsman guts out 100 off 300 In the context balls. of the game, what a fantastic innings from both players. And, you know, that, that won the day, didn't it? And you've got to wonder why Australia couldn't, you know, get a breakthrough. Obviously, Elgar's a very solid player, but you would expect Stark and Hazelwood should be too good for him. And I think it probably does feed into um, some of the criticisms that we've had that the players were a bit underdone. Mate, what does it say about Nathan Lyon just warmed his hands down at fine leg for that whole first session? Well, I completely disagree with the the general consensus that Lyon was uh, underbowled. I think Lyon was overbowled in this match. (laughs) I think that... The commentators seem to have this viewpoint that, oh, if they bowled him earlier, he didn't get a bowl earlier, he lost his confidence, and as a result, look what happened. I think, you know, you go for none for 140 in the second innings, it showed you shouldn't have been in the side in the mm. first place. Albeit, he did have a catch um, dropped off his bowling that could have been um, could have been significant. Smith said that the reason he didn't bowl Nathan Lyon was it affects the way they look after the ball in trying to achieve reverse swing. So perhaps that's the reason he didn't bowl. That's, that's ridiculous, man. It's come on. No, but, I think that the... the, the well, um, all the, the talk about the art of reverse swing is really keeping one side dry and really looking after it. So I guess a spinner, the way they like, wrap they their hands it, yeah. around it... They, did we get any reverse swing? Well, no, that's another question. Yeah, but we're probably wanna... not chewing the right lollies to 
put on the ball to make it swing. <laughs> I've got a bit of a rant about that later, but I think that it's instructive that in, in Sri Lanka with Mitchell Stark, we got really good reverse swing. If anyone's going to get reverse swing, it's him. He's deadly with it. How come here um, they got it and we didn't? And Pete Siddle, who toiled manfully in the test match, but as I predicted, Siddle does not pose many wicket-taking problems for the South African batsmen on these decks. Maybe in England where there's a bit more seam, I just thought he looked, while toiling away, he never looked like getting but, a wicket. And, and I think the dramatic de- decrease in the speed at which he was bowling really showed as well. It wasn't yeah, He wasn't threatening at all. They could easily just see him out, couldn't they? I think Cricket Australia have a, um, or the ICC have a rule that at this point someone has to say he should start eating meat again. (laughs) And uh, just one last thing, that effing catch from Voges on the fourth afternoon or the third afternoon of de Kock, when Australia might have been a chance at maybe chasing something under 400, we start shelling peas uh, at a crucial moment and de Kock goes on and smashes 50 well, mate, and a, all of a sudden the game's out of reach. Mate, a, it was a comedy of bloody errors from this team. But that's another reason I want Voges gone and I don't mean to single him out, but he's just dropped But you him. are anyway. Well, he's... He, and I know Paul's still... You're ageist. He, well, Paul's still upset about the comparisons to Bradman, but I, he's just dropped some, some critical catches throughout his career. It's not so much in the outfit, in the slips, hasn't he? It's just, it's just not good enough. He doesn't average above 30 against all the, the great test-playing well, nations. He's cashed in against the Windies and New Zealand, but not against the big mm. ones. So I think he's on the edge, and I, 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 I can accept all that. I think I'd that push him off. I'd give him... I, I honestly would still persist with him for um, this test and the next, and I know that, that but, that's but, not the fashionable view, but I, I think... I still think he's got he's got something to offer, I, I just, but he's he's running out of chances. So I just think it's time to totally reinvigorate, totally revitalise the side, and that means a total clean out. Why not? Why just do it now before? And these guys get in there, get a chance to prove themselves before we go to India, which could be an absolute calamity. There was a fair point, mate. If we were going to do that, it should have been last summer against the more pedestrian nations. But moving on now, South Africa declared at eight for five hundred and forty. Australia were chasing an impossible 539. I don't think anybody ever thought it was a chance, apart from a few commentators being paid to say that. And I thought Australia should have really dug in on that fourth afternoon, leading into the fifth day, but we didn't. We lost four wickets on the fourth afternoon, and that really consigned Australia's fate. I mean, David Warner's run out. Let's talk about that. You talked about the amazing fielding from Bavuma. Why are you taking these dodgy quick singles when you're on the back foot when you're playing for a draw I know Warner says you look at rotating the strike Uh, how about not getting out yeah I mean it shows how bad things could have been had on that first uh, day when Warner was given the benefit of the one millimeter no ball by Philander if he'd been at LBW then we might have got nowhere um You've got to be critical of Warner, but also I think it's better just to say it's one of the most remarkable pieces of fielding I've ever seen. The the way he dived and threw the ball, as I said in my tweet, violating the laws of physics. You're very level-headed today, Yes, Paul. what's wrong very with you? Level-headed. What's happened? Um, you had a massage before you came and a couple of beers? No, or? I just always... Steve Waugh was always very one for saying, when things are going well, it's usually... It's usually probably exaggerating how, th- how well things are going. When things are going badly, there's a tendency to toss everything out. It's probably not usually going quite as badly as you think. I, I think that, um, that that's the case here, that South Africa are a very good side, um, and Australia made a couple of mistakes and you know lost a test match in Perth. It, it happens. Um, I think it's going to be hard for us to, to win against them in the next couple of matches as well. 
But I think sometimes it's just that they've got they've got players who played a bit better than ours. Oh, that, that, that level headed you've said you've, that, level headed thing you've said that is, run out was just unforgivable. I, I still I still can't get over it. But turning to Steve Waugh for advice, sagely advice, is a very wise. Steve action. Waugh, the greatest sledger of all time. <laughs> now, one thing, uh, men, is I want to agree with you on is the way that Australia approached their fourth innings. As Mark Taylor made the point in the commentary, our fourth innings was quite good in terms of um, you know fourth innings in a Test match to get. How much if it had been the first innings, it would have been all right. would have led by 120. It would have. But I think that they should all take a, book, a leaf out of um, Neville's book. That there's this, old, there's this viewpoint, oh, you know, you've still got to be, look to score. You've still got to be positive. You've still got to rotate the strike. Otherwise, the bowlers will be all over you. I get that to a point. But I also think that Neville showed where it, it should be done. I think when you're batting for a draw, you're wanting a strike rate in the 30s or somewhere to show that you're not playing cut shots. You're not playing extravagant shots. Yeah, if there's a half volley, you lean on it and it goes for runs. But I think that Neville played the innings that the rest of the Australians should have. And when he and Hazelwood put on um, what, what was starting to look like there was a faint hope that we could save the game, Hazelwood got out kind of playing an on-drive to a ball that, you know, if it had been the last ball of the Test match, he could have just played straight back to the bowler. I still think the Australians, when, the, when, when there's no hope of winning, get, get even more boring than they did. Yeah, I don't think there's any problem with what Faf did last time he was out here and just block everything. When you're trying to save a Test, there's no problem at all. Yeah. I would like to have seen that sort of innings. I guess the two positives out of that second innings, Neville's unbeaten 60 came at a a really important time for him because I guarantee the vultures would be circling had he had a double failure. And then there's Usman Big Mouth Kawaja, who scored 97 vital innings for his career after coming out and telling the selectors that he thought he was a scapegoat, that he put the pressure on himself and he delivered. It may have... um, you know, not been enough. It would have liked to have seen him bat a bit longer and save the match, but still... Oh, fine he, innings. It, really good innings. Well, hopefully he can go on here because he hasn't sort of played that sort of innings a lot before, has he? That stout, defensive No, no none, none sort of our players style. have that in them. Mm. Um, and finally, there's there's some bloke, Kigizo Rabada. He's all right, <laughs> isn't he? I've heard a few people mention his name. Uh, he, he was okay in that I test match. I was walking the dog by then, mate. I don't know anything about that. Well, I'm pl- I'm pleased to say that uh, I think that we on this show we highlighted him last time as, as the as the real threat for for South Africa and geez, didn't he deliver? And that ball that he got Kawaja out in the first innings was absolutely something that you could watch on replay many many times. Yeah, what a superstar to land on the world of international oh, yeah, cricket, reverse swinging, amazing stuff. Well spoken, great lad. We'll come to Ian Chappell's clangor about Rabada later on and when we get to the commentary critique. So let's forget about the Wacker test. Been there, done that. Thanks, Paul. Let's be positive. Let's move on to the second test in Bloodstone Arena in Hobart. Bit of background. Australia have only lost one test match at, uh, as it was called then, Bell Reeve Oval, and that was in 2011 to New Zealand when we were chasing a small total and Warner scored his Forgot first about that one century. too, mate. Thanks. <laughs> And I think the most famous victory there by Australia was way back in 1999 when we were chasing 369 against Pakistan and Langer and Gilly teamed up for that famous partnership. Great win. win. And it's normally a wicket that uh, favours the bowlers that hit the same because there's a bit of moisture and spinners can get results there. Uh, Shane Warne, Dougie Bracewell and Saklane Mushtak have the three best figures at uh, Bloodstone Arena. But now to this match. Firstly... Pack your umbrellas, pack your raincoats. First two days forecast is very bad. Dire, in fact, heavy rain. But, I mean, weathermen get it wrong all the time. It might might rain today, tomorrow, and be gone by Saturday. Yeah, it's, I think Hobart's one of those places that it's hard for long-range forecasts. I've um, 
over the last few months as I've had a, the odd punt on cricket, I've become very au fait with all the That's different... That's an understatement. ...with all the different weather forecasting apps and around the world. And um, some of them are more positive than others. But um, I think that what's interesting is that last summer in the Shield, I think there were five uh, games at, at Hobart. All five of them uh, produced a result, so within four days. So uh, it looks like the kind of pitch that does get a bit harder to bat on during the game... And if we had an entire day rained out, I still wouldn't, um, you know, I think a result would still be very possible. Well, the way things are going, man, is if we get away with a draw at the moment, we're doing pretty well, aren't we? So I, I won't mind if there's a bit of rain. Now, for the Australians, there's been some big changes. Let's start. Sean Marsh has broken his finger. He's out. Uh, before I move on, Brendan Julian, he's been fired up all week. He's one of my new favourite uh, punter, <laughs> pundits because he said, Sean Marsh, dead set gets injured all the time. Alan Border, all these blokes, they would never miss a test match for a broken finger. In fact, his dad, Swampy, would not miss a test match with a broken finger. I mean, you, you're giving it, you just got to keep quiet about that stuff and go and play. If you can't hold the bat, that's a bit of a problem though. Yeah, I'm it's, happy look, Burns is look, back I, I do, I, I know I gave it to Sean Marsh before, but I do feel sorry for him because he's just been so, the man management, him once again under Howard and Sutherland has just been diabolical. There's been no confidence shown in him, but this will, he won't play another test. So Burns comes back in opening with um, Warner. Then you've got Voges in doubt with that slight hamstring tweet. Callum Ferguson, Callum Ferguson is on standby for him. Siddle's already out, so you would think Joe Manny will have to play considering he was called into the squad. And then you've got... Um, Jackson Bird as backup now if anyone gets injured. I wouldn't be surprised if they played Bird. They'll they'll come up with a reason that it's his home pitch and it'll suit. I know that many plays in the big bash for, for Hobart, but they might look at the conditions and think that it, it's going to suit him. Got to suit him. I yeah. think they could pull a complete reversal, drop line, play four quicks and axe Mitch Marsh and bring Callum Ferguson in at six if Voges is well, fit. Can I... Six batsmen. Keeper four fast bowlers. Why, why is Callum Ferguson suddenly in the mix again? I mean, he's a great player. He averages forty-one in Australia. I think in it's one forty day it, oh, in one-day cricket. What yep. is he? He averages forty in his first-class career. Is well, that enough? Well, is that enough? Mitch Marsh averages thirty in first-class. I know. Cricket, I don't so want Mitch Marsh in the side. I don't know. First, no, I agree with Macca here. I agree with Macca here. It's like that they've got a rule that every fifth decision we have to make is so not wrong necessarily, but just, well, I wouldn't have thought that. Mm. And they said, oh, we've got to pull that one this time. So let's ro- roll the dice. Who should it be? Callum Ferguson. You beauty. I, why, I how? vehemently disagree with your sentiments there, Paul. Callum Ferguson has been there or thereabouts for the Australian team for a few years. He has had the unfortunate knack of getting injured just when he's about to get picked for the side. So I'm happy for him that he's given a shot. I think picking someone with more experience has shown in the past that there's a benefit when players know their game when they come to test cricket. So Man, is he 32? Can't we find someone? And I know Nick Madison's first-class average, I think it's 36-37. He's 23-24. I, I, mean, I know that average isn't good enough, but we surely we can find someone okay, Well, What would you do for this test match then? Well, I'd... I'd I would. Say Voges is fit. Would you play Marsh at six and then... You no, know, Marsh play? is gone, mate. So Ferguson uh, but What I'm in. saying, that was my side before that I bought in. But what, what, what they're going to do is I think they'll, just, they'll play Marsh again, won't they? Yeah, Give him one last chance. Yeah. Well, considering Mark War came on, went on record as saying he's got the first two tests, they'll look like a, mm. a goose if they mm. don't. I, I don't think Smith will be happy with that decision, though, because Smith could become only the third Australian skipper to lose five tests in a row. Obviously, three in Sri Lanka, Wacker, now Hobart. And the first two were Kim Hughes, no surprises there, and Michael Clark. Kim, who, who did Kim Hughes lose those tests against, tests against? The greatest West Indies side, the greatest side of all time? 
Well, it's yeah, not as good as not, they're no. not. They're far better than the Sri Lankan side. Mm, yeah. The other thing that's going to be interesting about this match is the replacement of Stain with Abbott. And um, Abbott's probably an enhancement on Stain. I think uh, that's a horrible thing to say because Stain's one of the the greatest bowlers of all time. But I, th- you know, I think. The way he bowled in the first Test match was was a bit erratic some and rubbish, didn't he? Well, he looked underdone. He come off an injury. Yeah, I, I don't think I think he it's a big fit, improvement. Obviously. Abbott coming in, I think he'll cause problems. I think Abbott's a scary proposition. He Every time I in the one day bowl, series, I just thought, he he has that sort of I don't know Jason Gillespie energy through the crease where it just looks like he's going to take a wicket at any given time. But kudos to Stone for breaking a shoulder bowling shows that mm. you know, that shows you're putting in, doesn't it? Well, I thought there were some rumours that he may have broken the shoulder surfing or something <laughs> before the game, and it just went a bit pear-shaped on the field. So we'll, we'll, that won't come out, though, because that'll affect his insurance <laughs> uh, premiums. So that's the test match. Uh, could be some changes for the Aussies. I'm going to ask you both this question. Can Australia turn the tide, turn the momentum in their favour, and go on and win this series 2-1? I just I can't see it, man. As I, the, all the momentum is with South Africa, as Paul mentioned, that maybe they have an, have an even better lineup this time. Where we've got the same battling lineup, we're gone. We're cooked. I don't think we're cooked. I think that South Africa deserve to be favourites going into this Test match. Interestingly, they're not. But I would get on fan, sports fans. Well, the draw is favourite because of the rain, but okay. even that South Africa is third favourite. Um, I, I think that Australia would require Smith and Stark to be back to their best and that's that's eminently possible Smith whatever you think of the decision was very unlucky in getting out in that first inning so the other thing is um, that, that surprises me about South Africa is that the bloke that they've brought into the squad Pretorius his record is we would die for an all-rounder like that he's got a batting average of 44 and a bowling average of 22 he scores his runs as fast as Gilchrist and he's bowling strike rates better than Glenn McGrath like he's how is he not the first player picked in their side and he's not even in the side which shows the depth they have, which we don't. I think South Africa's a really bad team to give adva- momentum and the advantage to. They're not a team known for giving away um, leads. or They've got a really tough attitude. So I think it's going to be a really tough fight for the Aussies. And I think probably Hobart's going to be a draw and then it's going to come down to what we can do under lights in Adelaide to salvage a drawn series. Well, are we up for a tough fight, Menace? Because it, like, it didn't look like we were in Perth. No, it didn't look like mm. it at all. In a short three-test match series, if, if Hobart happens to be a draw and Australia happens to get the rub of the green in Adelaide in terms of getting the best of conditions, we could eminently win. But I think that, um, you know, if, if this is a five-test match series, I, my money would be on South Africa being slightly better than us. Well, listeners, that was our wrap-up of the first test at the Wacker, our preview of the test down in Hobart starting on Saturday. A big test match for the Australian side. Hopefully they can bounce back. Paul was kind of uplifting early on that things aren't in crisis, as Macker and I pointed. So we'll see what happens there. Now it's time for the segment, Taking Cricket by Storm, the commentary critique. I could tell there was a sense of trepidation in the Channel 9, ABC and Macquarie radio box leading into this test match, knowing <laughs> that we were watching. And for I this, see it in Mark Nicholas's eyes, mate. And for this test, for this uh, episode, I thought I was going to compare the three different commentaries, the Channel 9, Macquarie Radio Network and ABC Grandstand, and see how they all stacked up. Now, let's start with Channel 9. They've definitely made some changes. They've gone back to a two-man commentary panel. What do we think of that change? I think it's really good. I think that I didn't hate three-man, but hearing the two-man again, it just seems that there's a little bit more silence, a little bit more talk about the game, and it's just a bit more pleasant for me. 
Oh, yeah, I, I agree with Paul. I, I did enjoy it. KP, Michael Clark. I saw on Twitter they weren't the most popular commentators. <laughs> but, Mackie, you like Twitter KP. Twitter talks. Mate, I like KP because I think he actually said something. He, he, he's, he was probably the only one who had a go at that Arlene Dar decision on Smith. Who, who, he said it was a brave decision, in inverted commas. I thought he at least has a crack. And I know you've, you've pointed it out that when Usman Khawaja got out, on your way, Uzi, that was a bit too much cheerleading or calls from the hill. And he does tend to scream, not use his voice properly. properly. And he giggles. When, yeah, but I, I did, like I didn't mind. I didn't mind KP. I wasn't. I'm not on his back as most people. But I think Clark. I don't. I still don't see what Clark offers. I, I really don't. I, I wonder what he offered as a, as a as a Test captain. Well, I don't want to go talk about his Test captaincy, but in the commentary box, I think he's too earnest at the moment, and I almost think he can envisage himself taking over the reins at Channel Nine eventually and being that Richie Benno, and he's trying really hard. But yeah, I find him annoying commentary. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't draw a line through him uh, forever. I think he could develop. Agree with that comment. He's too earnest, and as so many of these ex-players do, he makes the mistake of thinking that just because he's never watched any cricket on TV, that no one else has either. He made the point yeah, about yeah. the slips standing too close together, and I knew what he was going to say. That he was going to say that sometimes you would think that, that would mean the ball never goes through, but it ends up sometimes that you look and I look and neither of us dive. And he said that as though. He was imparting wisdom that no one had ever thought about before. It's been said on Channel 9 a million times. And sometimes you've got to realise, as I said, plenty of people, although they didn't play the game at the highest level, have have watched plenty of the game. Just because their hand-eye coordination wasn't as good as yours doesn't mean that they don't know what's happening. Don't pretend you're full of breathless insights when you're not. But he has got something to offer. I think he just needs to um, reduce the, the amount he talks at 20%. Well, mate, him saying, telling us breathlessly that Mitchell Stark's one of the top five bowlers in the world, well, that's just self-evident. I don't understand. I mean, what I was trying to say, man, is, is that what, what insights does he offer on the game? You know, and when Ian Chappell starts talking or when even warning when he says, oh, if I was bowling, I'd be doing this, Clark just doesn't sort of offer this he, for He did mine. have one that I liked, and this is where I think he has got something to offer. If he can, His voice is a little bit annoying too, but he made the point that David Warner's um, back foot was angling towards the leg side a bit, and he showed a couple of shots, Warner smashing okay. them, and he said... If he was getting out, we'd be saying that um, his technique was wrong and we'd be absolutely uh, all over him. The fact that he's hitting them for four, we're saying nothing. And what this shows is that technique is overrated. Now, whether you agree with that or disagree with that, I found that an interesting point and one that was, uh, you know, I hope he, hope he says some more of things like that yeah. rather than okay. some well, of he's still stuff. he's still getting into the role, isn't he? So I think as well, the more experienced commentators clearly were put on notice and lifted their game. Yeah, yeah, you I agree. could tell they were more focused, less chatting about their golf games and, and wandering off into matey uh, dressing room talk and more on the job. I'm a big fan of Mark Nicholas now. He's completely turned me around. Are you high? I like, the, <laughs> I like the fact that he's the host. I think he's the most professional, measured commentator on that team. I think he is the I one that's going to lead mate. this. It's going to be a change. Richie Benno and Aussie was the face of cricket in England and now it's turning back. Nicholas is going to be... The Richie Benno here in 10, 20, 30 years, I'm, I'm still be sick, there. I'm no, I kind of agree with you, Menas, but it's like you're in 2005. Nicholas has been there for 10 years. No, but I'm saying I'm, he's grown what, on what, me. What, what did he do? What's he done differently? How has he improved? I, I just think he's a consummate professional. He drives interesting discussion. He's intelligent. He steers away from that shit talk that we get from them sometimes. But, um, but that's because he can't get into it because he never oh, played test cricket mate, you're for anyone. you shit now. Um, do we like Michael Slater with his iPad? 
Do we like mate, that he feature? He looks like, like across mate, the him, he, and there's a TV. He's mate, got the he looks iPad. like a five-year-old kid trying to work out what to do for mine. I agree. I think that it's like let's get all gimmicky and um, show that we're using technology. It'd be far better if he did those pieces um, just um, using what they normally do and saying. In, the, in advance, can you get some replays and can you freeze it? Because when he tries to freeze, he tried to freeze the thing on Bavuma's run and he froze it at the wrong spot, um, which is which you can't blame him. He's doing it live. You've got to tap mm. it exactly. Load it up, do it properly yeah. in the in yeah. the, so in, in why the preamble. Why can't the producer do that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so thumbs down to Slats on camera. Next assessment, Macquarie Radio Network. This is a really interesting one. It's on various radio stations around the country. I don't know all of them. Tim Lane is probably the lead host. I think he's a great commentator. Spent many years on ABC Grandstand. But then he's backed up with a really good team except for one of them. There's Damien Fleming, (laughs) Dean Jones, Tom Moody, John Embry, Barry Richards. It's a great commentator. Who's the one you you don't like, mate? Carl Langdon. Who's he? Some (laughs) West Coast Eagles player just wandered into the commentary box. Admittedly, he wasn't bad. I'm just joshing. i just uh, not a big AFL fan, so I'd never heard of him. But the Macquarie and Chappelle's on this... uh, that one as well. Macquarie Radio I found very listenable. Obviously, more ads than when you're listening that's, to ABC. That's, that's what annoys but me. But I really like the balance of commentators they have there, and you would never know who'd be on. So they obviously have a good rotating cast, really good stuff. And compare that now to ABC Grandstand, which traditionally is the home of cricket mm, on the radio mm. in this country. I found it a bit boring in this last test match. Chris Rogers is boring. Manners. Now, Manners, by the way, got a lot of tweets. Manners is not me. Manners is Neil Manthorpe, the South African commentator. I'm Manners with an E. So Manners, you had Simon Kadich, Dirk Nannis, Jared Waitley. I thought the actual ball-by-ball stuff was down on the Macquarie Radio stuff. Did you guys? I'd spent a bit of time listening to ABC driving around the car, and there was a segment there when... Kadich and Manners were talking. It was patently obvious they weren't even talk, weren't even listening to one another when they kept repeating what so the like other had podcast. said. like this podcast. Yeah, somewhat. Macca. We've been accused Macca. of that. But um, oh, look, obviously, you know, um, Jim Maxwell's not there. So he's your lead man. He's your front man. He's your, your Richie Benno. So I just they're really... don't think it was that. Chris Rogers is boring. Oh, man, I like Chris Rogers. I think he's very intelligent and he offers great insights to the game, but his delivery and everything, it always feels like it. It's an effort for him to get the thoughts out. Of I just something. think uh, the, the cast after that it doesn't have the depth you mentioned that Macquarie does, and I did fan them. It just be meandering, and it doesn't flow on like it used to with Skull and all those fantastic characters they used to have. It do, it's not as engaging. They at had, all. did have some great stuff at lunchtime and after the I, cricket. Mm-hmm. They have a press room, which is the thing they do live, where they just pull in a few journos and talk about what's been happening that day, or when they um, after play wrap up the day on the ground. I found found that stuff better than the ball-by-ball stuff. Finally, to end it all off, if that wasn't enough cricket for you last weekend, there was two really good streams of The Shield. You could see the New South Wales game or the South Australia game, both with multi-cameras, both with commentary. Um, So really good stuff when you can see good quality Shield cricket. I was watching cricket all weekend because the test started later on. Before we take a break, listeners, let me go through the Have A Go Your Mug promotion. Those of you who have received your mugs or I've just sent them out, so look out for them. They're coming. But if you want an Australian cricket podcast, Have A Go Your Mug mug, leave a review for the show on iTunes or whatever app you listen to the show on. But email me when you leave the review at Pod. AUS cricket pod at gmail.com. That's so I know that you've reviewed the show. I can check it. And then you will go in the draw for an Australian cricket podcast mug. Uh, there are actually no reviews in the last week, so there's no draw this week. Here they are. So if one of you had left a review, you'd get a mug. So to be that one person that leaves a review next week and you'll, you'll get a mug. 
but you can circumvent that whole system and go onto the Patreon website, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, search for the Australian Cricket Podcast, subscribe to the show for $5 a month, and you'll get a mug straight away. So what a bargain. Thanks, Mark Pearson and Cam Allen, who've signed up in the last week on Patreon. We really appreciate it. And if you want to get in touch with the podcast and you're not happy with Mad Macca or uh, Happy Paul over there, you can email us on <laughs> ozcricketpod, auscricketpod, at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, at ozcricketpod. You can find us on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. Tell all your friends that like cricket about the Australian Cricket Podcast. It's on every podcast app available that I know of. And so please spread the word about the Australian Cricket Podcast. Right, he's on strike. Two slips. Straight down the ground. That'll be it. What a beautiful shot. It's running away down towards the deep long off boundary. Into the fence it goes. And that is a superb century. Wonderfully played. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm here with Paul and Macca. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel. And that was Adam Gilchrist bringing up his first test century at Bell Reeve over way back in 1999. That was in that famous run chase where he partnered with JL to beat Pakistan when Australia really struggled to chase anything above 150. So great times. You remember that game, guys? Absolutely. I remembered it. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember Gilchrist got 80-odd in the first test match. And I remember at the time thinking, as I had for many years before, it is criminal that Ian Healy's been in the side for the, pre- the previous five years when we have the greatest wicketkeeper batsman of all time who could have come in, won us the 96 World Cup <laughs> rather than losing in the final, and finally came in and showed... Healy was a wonderful player, but Gilchrist was just next generation. And De Kock in this, last, in this first Test match gave us a reminder of what, what an advantage it is to have someone a bit like Gilchrist coming in when the side's in trouble. Indeed, man. It's great stuff. Uh, it's interesting in that replay that... Um, Ian Healy was actually commentating when Gilly brought up his first test century. So, And he was very generous about it, as I recall. He said something like, geez, Australia's missing Ian Healy, aren't they? And he started giggling, and I thought that was quite good of him. <laughs> All right, so we're debuting a new segment, two new segments this week. Mm, massive and, show. And this segment is a tribute to the NPR politics podcast that I've been using to keep abreast of the US election. Wow, you, you actually follow something other than Cricket Manners? <laughs> Look, sometimes is... I, while I'm watching cricket, I'll listen to something else. Um, and the segment is Can't Let It Go. And basically what you have to do is something you can't let go from the last week. And I'll start things off because I've got a ripper, Can't Let It Go, is the Muhammad Army run out against the West Indies last week. That was uh, magnificent. If you haven't seen it, I mean, hits, a, hits what he thinks is a massive six. The West Indian fielder on the boundary hauls the ball back, knocks it back into play, and Muhammad Amir has stood lead in foot thinking it's going for six and all of a sudden gets run out at the non-striker's end. So he hasn't even completed one run in the time that the, the fielder's <laughs> thrown the ball back in from the boundary rope, gone back in, picked it up and thrown it to the non-striker's end. I, I was actually uh, watching that game on a slight delay and I, I'd had a little bit of money on, um, on the West Indies to win and I missed five minutes and I came back and saw that that wicket had fallen. I was absolutely exuberant. I rewound it and watched it. And I regret not seeing it live because it, it would have been such a delight to have had a little bit of money on the West Indies to see um, the opposition just play so, so stupidly and Roston Chase fielding it so well. Um, hilarious stuff. 
what I think that says about well, what it says about it's Pakistan, just Pakistani cricket. That, that is Pakistani mate. cricket embodied yeah. in one mm. small play, but also the contrast of Roston Chase, as you say, an absolutely stunning piece of fielding on the boundary, and the contrast of this idiot at the batter's end just standing there, not running. So I thought you saw the best and worst of cricket and the best and worst of Pakistan all in one moment. What I would say about that is that. Pakistan. That was kind of an exception these days. Pakistan have have, have uh, lost some of their self destruct capacity in the last couple of years. I think they've become a much tighter side. That a much a more professional outfit. That was a, an exception. Um, it showed they still got that self destruct button, but they're generally uh, much cleverer. So that's what I can't let go from the cricket week, Paul. What can't you let go from the last week? Well, just the fact that watching the game, um, Australia is doing so well, none for one hundred and fifty, and then. The ball starts to reverse swing and we're in an instant all out. And why is it that if you think of, with the exception of the recent tour of, South, of um, Sri Lanka where Mitchell Stark got reverse swing, ever since 2005 when we got unexpectedly beaten by England, we have been on the wrong side of reverse swing year after year after year. And I'm agitated that the, the words to describe Australian cricket that you would never use are shrewd, canny, cunning, clever tricky we always lose the intellectual battle to these other sides because they get the best out of things like that that that, um are you saying we don't stretch the rules like england and south africa because the umpires went up to the south african captain when they were in the field and questioned the way they were looking after the ball after that well it's one of those sort of unwritten rules in cricket that oh you can put a little bit of saliva on the ball but you want to be really subtle about it Go on. I think that's that's possibly. Um, so are they bending the rules and we're not? No, I'd say maybe that maybe they go too far. But I'm saying that there's a level that we could go to that would not be bending the rules. That would be more, um, you know, more intelligent in the way that we do things. That England in the recent series against Bangladesh, Ben Stokes got more uh, wickets than got the best average of any bowler on either side on wickets that were turning wickets that no fast bowler had any right to take any wickets on. It's because England absolutely went crazy trying to get reverse swing. And we've, there's some history there. Remember, was it Mike Atherton with the, had some dodgy substance the in his pocket? Or something so there's other. a bit of history within English cricket of tampering with the ball. Well, well, yeah, but I'm not saying that... I don't, think England. It's that I don't think it's that they... Uh, you know, crossing the line, and as Macca sort of said, you know, you cross the line and you might get a, uh, a slap over the wrist. That's probably the right level to which you cross the line. But that brings into question sportsmanship. I'm saying even if Australia don't go to that level, there's a level they can jump to to get smarter about things. So, for example, the fact that we had a two partners set and they both got out playing sort of wafty shots and then we collapsed. Where's the cunning to say, right, um, let's make sure that we, we don't lose in these key moments. We need a New Zealander. We need a New Zealander involved in cricket. Bob, well, are you listening? Well, well, where, are those forex, where are those forex mints that apparently got the ball <laughs> hooping around in England? Why didn't we have them in the second innings when the ball wasn't doing anything? Why wasn't you know someone sucking on some lollies and getting that on the ball? But I'm saying, even apart from that, why didn't we have whoever's the most logical saying, you know, in, in England it's Joe Root. Whoever it is in Australia, it's like your job is to shine the ball like an absolute psychopath and do it every single time. Yeah, but they, add, they add something to it. That's, but I'm saying well, that's that's kind of by by the by. Even if they didn't add something, they're still getting more to it than than we are. Well, I think no. I think we're trying, but we're not. Well, well, where the does David Saker fit in? Surely he can impart some of this cunningness. Well, you know, why isn't he? Wisdom. The reason I'm saying in New Zealand, a bit tongue in cheek, but small nation cricket's not their number one sport. They've always had to be smart to win. Where cricket, a big sport here, big population. We often just have great players. 
we often don't have to worry about the subtleties. Now we do. Um, you know, let's have someone in there. Like, where's Duncan Fletcher or someone? Um, I know he's not a New Zealander, but someone um, someone who's just a bit clever. Someone who'd win a game of chess. Not someone like Darren Lehman, who I think is a wonderful coach. I don't even know what you're saying now, Paul. Are you saying we should bend the rules or are you saying we shouldn't? No, no I'm saying that your, your whole thinking that I'm saying this is them bending the rules, I think that's a minor addendum. I'm saying... Um, we don't even give any contemplation to some of the smarts of the game. But that minor addendum makes the difference between the ball moving and the ball not moving. That's what I'm saying is that the fact that the players are using foreign substances, that's the difference maker. I don't know that it is. I I, I don't know that there's any proof of that. One thing that's very interesting about this whole topic is the way the players won't speak about it very much. Mm -hmm. Now, let's go back to the 2005 Ashes where the ball hooped around. Nobody apart from Macca's good mate, Nathan Bracken, came out and said they were using these mints the whole summer. That's yep, why they were yep. getting the ball to move. All the players around the world keep quiet about it. It's almost like an unwritten rule where we'll let you tamper with the ball, but don't let the camera see you, don't let the umpire see you. So I'm, I'm not sure where it's going. Man, it but, all- but to your broader point, Paul, I think Australia has to be more cunning and start to... Yeah, I agree, I, I agree. I mean, if we're willing to sledge and, and go all out psychologically, surely a little bit of a lolly on one side if it makes the ball swing, if your opponent's doing it, not that bad. Well, that's the point, that if, if, if what you're saying is true, and I'm not sure whether it is, but if that extra little gamesmanship is what makes the difference, given Australia across the line in sledging, we might as well cross the line in this as well. In the recent India-Bangladesh series, in the recent India-New Zealand series, New Zealand started an innings at none for five before a ball had been bowled because India, the Indian batsmen had been repeatedly running up and down the wicket and they got warned so many times the umpire eventually uh, awarded five penalty runs to New Zealand to which I'm sure the Indian side said, cool, have your five yeah, runs, we'll take the collapse. It's, 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 it's hardly a penalty, is it? That's and ridiculous. So that was it, Paul's can't let it go. Great debut, great subject mm, for yes, can't let it very go. Very intellectual, very cunning, very clever. <laughs> now, Macker, I know you exhausted a lot of your material <laughs> did, for mate. Mad Macker. I've reloaded. But, but is there something you can't let go from well, the last I'm, week of cricket? I, what, what, uh, yes, and, and some of this is building on what Paul said, but uh, mate, there's no bad blood in cricket anymore. It's all love. We saw Stain and Warner having a bit of a kiss and a cuddle while they were playing. Chappelle was furious. He said, that would have never happened in my day. So I can't get past this. There's no bad blood menace. There's no there's no hatred. There's no dislike anymore. You know, what what where's it all gone? There's no there's no narratives leading to the game. I and mean, you look at what Warner is, you know, Stain gave us a bit of a, a bit of a soundbite saying they were going to cut off the head of the snake and target Steve Smith. Warner came back. Warner, one of the greatest sledges we've had in the last few years comes back with some of the most boring but comments in reply that that he could we know how we know the conditions we are going to face out there hopefully they do get carried away and start bowling short and fast at the end of the day wait for it you have to bowl at the stumps to get wickets this is on record this is the stuff this that, is the reverend david warner this is just delivering it Puts you to sleep. No wonder there was only 7,000 people there at the Wacker. Well, I just I want a bit of hate. I want them saying a bit of Well, bit I can guarantee stuff. when the Australians are losing, they get a bit nasty. Well, so I think we'll see let's in the second na- test Let's get edge. cunning and let's get nasty. Let's get edgy. But also, this is a result of T20 cricket. It is. It's now, the IPL. Everyone, yeah. Well, I don't want to just blame the IPL because there's all the franchises now where you end up mixing with these players and playing with them in teams, and it breaks yeah, down it that does, barrier. I mean, you hear the stories about Kurtley Ambrose. He never spoke to an opposition player mm-hmm. or batsman the whole time he was playing. Now, that's, that's edgy. 
you yeah. know, that holding out for 15 years and not talking to any opposing batsmen, that's guts. And I think T20 cricket's eroded that. And, you know, Stain and Warner are probably and, good and mates and have a chat. Mate, obviously Alan Border famously bought that in in 1989. So we're not going to drink with them. We're not going to be matey with them. With their palms, of course, during the ashes. I think we need to... I think Smith's got more border in him than we think. I think I hope he, he does. He, was, he looked to me pretty angry on that fourth day. He's not a man that likes to lose, so I think hopefully he can bring that into the side. Do you think he's angry because he's not getting the team that he wants? Well, that is the, the, that's the word on the street mm. I've been hearing, that you know, he's not happy with his players. You'd have to question whether he wants Nathan Lyon in there at all, the way he's using him to bowl. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. One thing I'm surprised Smith doesn't do is bowl himself more. Yep, um, yep. He came on to bowl and he, he just looked better than Lyon. He took a wicket straight away, albeit um, the Philander was slogging at the yeah. time. But, God, you know... Um, like Alan Border, he doesn't raid his own bowling. Well, he should. and I mean, he should say whether or not Lyon's in the side, a useful leg spinner is always good. He mm. should practice more. And, um, you know, if he, if he wants to make a point that Lyon shouldn't be in there... Take a few wickets yourself because I think he's got the skill to do it. I just think, you know, he's captain of the side. He's the most important batsman. Does he have the time to work on his leg spin bowling? I, I just don't know. I think it's an afterthought in many ways. I wish he could, you know, obviously he came into the side as a leg spinner initially. I just don't know if he, I just don't know if he's got the time. I think he does. I mean, what do they do? I mean, I, I agree that off field captaincy, you're doing a lot of interviews and it's a, it's a stressful job, but. So, you know, bowling 45 minutes of leg spin in the nets each day, I don't think that's too much yeah. to ask, especially if it's going to be then a weapon for you to help you win the game. Mm. Well, that was a great segment. Can't let it go. What a debut. Thanks to the NPR Politics Podcast for the inspiration. The US election is ending as we record this podcast, so I won't be listening to that anymore. A great great episode, guys. Thanks for yep, coming thanks in. Thanks for having us, uh, We we'll put a line through Howard Sutherland, the CA Communications Department. Yep. Hello, if you're listening. Um, so what about Darren Lehman? Do you think there'd be question marks over his coaching at the moment? Well, did you say that? Uh, somebody said this week that it was curious. I think it was Chris Barrett again. It was curious that he had his uh, tenure recently extended. I I don't know. I, I think it's. It, I think we're picking the wrong side, and maybe he's part of that. I think he is because he's one Paul? of the selectors. I think India is going to be the test, and that's where I think that it was unfortunate that he had his contract extended for so long. If we go to India and get thrashed, then. That's a real concern, and then then I'd say that in other sports the coach would get the sack, and I think that should be the case here. If we go to India, even if we don't win, if we perform creditably like two thousand and one, I'm okay with that. Um, but I want us to go to India like two thousand and four with a definitive plan and um, to actually uh, be a bit clever. Well done, Happy Paul. Well done, Mad Mac. A great show. The first test of India v England starts later on today as we record this. So I'm looking forward to a 4 or 5 nil defeat uh, <laughs> for India over England. That's going to make me feel better when we lose 8 nil next year in India, guys. Thanks for coming in. Enjoy the second Thank test you, on the weekend. Manners. Thanks, Paul. And uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks, Manners. Bye, everyone. What a marvellous strike. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Touch base with the South Africans who showed great character today. Neil Manthorpe, he told us about these possibilities last night. The team lived it and you're inside the camp. Neil. <coughs> Thank you very much indeed. I'm with Kishav Maharaj. I've just swallowed a fly as well. <laughs> Sorry, Kishav. Congratulations. What a day that was. How would you explain that? Sports Social Podcast Network.